Thank you for joining us on the NCMI podcast. And today, we're going to be hearing from Chris Zeely, who leads the eldership team of Foresight Church in South Africa, along with his wife, Suzanne. Chris has a wonderfully simple and clear view of church planting, which he shared with church planters at a training week. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and visit ncmi.net for more resources on church planting and leadership. Thank you, Ryan. Good morning. What a privilege it is to talk to church planters. I do think that this is a life well spent. If I do nothing else in my life, this will be worthwhile because this is called multiplication. I want to talk to you about something a little bit uh, off the topic today. I'm talking about church planters, but I want to expand your imagination right now and get you to think outside of the box. So I'm going to talk about elephants and rabbits. A little bit about elephants. An elephant weighs two to three tons, and it takes 10 years to become reproductive, to become sexually reproductive. It's able to reproduce itself, 10 years. And then when it does, it carries, ladies, it carries that baby for two years and pops out a whopper. It's a keeper at 100 kilograms. I never want to hear you complain about pregnancy again. But a rabbit's on the other hand. A rabbit's a different creature. Rabbits pop out up to 15 little babies at a time. And those little babies, some of them will die, some of them will survive, but let's take an average of a survival rate of seven babies per litter, which is about half. And that rabbit will take four months to become reproductive. And then when it does, it'll pop out every six weeks a batch of 15 little rabbits to a point of, let's say, seven at a time on average until that rabbit dies. I want to do some maths with you quickly. There's, there is a board coming. Is the board here? It is off on the side. Can somebody just help me with the board for a second? That would be fantastic. I hope it's not going to be too reflective, obviously, with the lights and, and all. Um, we hope. Right. So we're going to do some interesting maths. I would like somebody with a calculator to keep up. Are there any mathematical brains in here? Because I'm, okay, right, Kim, you have volunteered. You do not know what you are in for. All right, let's take, let's take rabbit number one, January. Rabbit number one has seven rabbits per litter. And if that rabbit is born in January, it has four months plus six weeks to pop out the first litter, but I worked it out at home. That rabbit is going to have seven litters of seven a year. Right, year one, 49. But... So, this rabbit is going to have, let's do lines like this, right? So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Now, don't, don't get lost with my confusion here because actually it's just an illustration. 
Rabbit number, litter number two starts over here. Same year. Litter number two will have six litters in a year. Because it's minus six weeks, right? And that's going to have seven times six. Is that right? 42. Right. Litter number three is going to have, is that five? Five times seven is, he, is equal to? 35. Litter number four is going to have four times seven. Seven four is 28. Is that cool? And down three. Is that right? Wait, there was four. Three, two, and then obviously one at the end. So let's have a look at quickly four. four seven, four is 28. Uh, three is 21. Right, two is 14. One is seven. Good. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All right, would you total those up for me, please, Kim? What do we have there? Hundred ninety-six. You're one from one rabbit, but here it becomes really tricky because how many rabbits will one hundred ninety-six rabbits have next year? Well, it's quite easy. What's one hundred ninety-six squared? All right, go for it. Here comes the math. So this is year one. This is year two. 38,941. 591. All right, will you square that? Let's have a look at year number three. A lot. A lot. Oh, you're off your calculator. You're off your calculator. You, you're way into one and a half billion in three years. Rabbits. Now, we do understand rabbits are at the bottom of the food chain, and thank God they don't multiply that fast. How it came upon this was we, we have a church which is in the rural area. So we are about 10 k's out from the nearest suburb. And um, we're in an we're in a, a interesting area to, to, to live. It's a very, very high crime area. But I was standing outside one day, and I was talking to the Lord, and around me were a bunch of rabbits. Because we have rabbits, somebody graciously decided it would be a good idea to, ha to bring rabbits to the church, and then, and then rabbits being two became many, very fast. And I was looking at these rabbits, destructive little blighters digging up the grass, eating the garden. They just eat everything. And, and I was thinking, Lord, talk to me. And I felt God say, Right, we know that a, a church is an organism. It's not an organization. It's an organism. It's a living body. I felt God say that there is, a, there is a, a method to what he has created. Think about Jesus. Jesus said, look to the birds of the air. And he showed them the birds. And he said, look at the ants. And he said, look at the, look at the, the flowers of the field. You know, Solomon said, look at the ants. Jesus said, look at the flowers of the field. Look at, look at what I've created and, and learn from it. And then I felt so convicted 
about two things. Number one, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. What does it say? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And truly, I'm with you to the very end of the age. So the great commission, and I want to say, a great commitment to the great commission will build a great church. That's for free. Then the second thing I felt Jesus say was, when and how do we do this? And Matthew 24 verse 14 says this. It says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to me, and then the end will come. So when do we, until when do we preach the gospel of the kingdom? Until the end comes. And what's the one sign, many people say there are many signs, is Ukraine and what's happening with Gog and Magog at the moment, is that a sign of the end of the times? I think it is. But what is the definitive sign that Jesus said? He said, this gospel will be preached in all the world as a testimony to me and then the end will come. In other words, we have a few years left. There's no reason for us to bunker down. No reason for us to become doomsday preppers. In fact, Jesus has said, until he comes, we better be multiplying. Now, we have the privilege of leading a church that we planted. It's the second church that we planted. We're leading this one for 21 years. The first church took off like a rabbit and reproduced really fast. And uh, somebody came, took over the church. It was a site. And then we planted this church, and this church took a little bit longer to plant because I think we changed our philosophy and how we did it and all the rest. And then through our church, we've planted many churches. And then through our church, the strategy changed, and over the years, we've planted out many leaders to many nations in the world and around South Africa. We've got leaders leading in churches in New Zealand, in Australia, in Canada, we've got people leading in Ireland, we've got people leading churches around South Africa. It's fantastic. Our strategy changed because it's hard to reproduce an elephant. And let's talk about an elephant in the room. If you want to reproduce a base church, that is a difficult thing to do. What are the, some of the systems you need? Well, if you want to plant a church, you need a sound system, right? You need a media team. You want to plant a church, you need a website, and you need, you need a social media presence, and you need a whole bunch of things that you didn't need a few years ago, and Lord forbid, but you need a whole music team, and you need a children's church team, and you need a setup team, and you need tables, and you need chairs, and you need a whole bunch of cash, or do you? Now let's talk about the elephant in the room quickly. How do you eat an elephant? To butcher a metaphor. Well, well, bite by bite, you eat it in small pieces. Is a rabbit less of an organism than an elephant? No, it's not. Maybe a more complicated organism and, and, and a, a much more social organism and a, an organism that maybe needs mega structures rather than microstructures to survive. It's got, a, it's got a heart. It's got all the kind of things that an that a, a elephant has. A rabbit has too, but in, in a smaller measure. 
And maybe the reason why we're not penetrating as quickly and efficiently as we need to do, because my friends, if you look at the book of Acts, that was a contagious reproductive model. People went everywhere, and as they went, they preached the gospel, and guess what? Churches started, and oops, there's a church started. Let's go down to Jerusalem and bring up the apostles here because we've just accidentally started a church. Let's go find Oaks who can help us. The church in Antioch was the same. Well, let's go and fetch Paul and Barnabas over there. We've heard about these guys. We need some teachers to come and help us because we're running out of space. We're running into trouble. We're discipling people, but we don't really know what we're doing. And I want to say, I do believe that we can plant more churches accidentally by doing what? Not planting churches, but making disciples. So I've got a couple of concepts I want to, because I honestly think, We've made church planting a science and we've made it complicated where actually God intends disciple making to be really simple and stupid. And how do I know it's simple and stupid? Because I can do it. I don't think you need a degree to do it. Now here's the funny thing. I, I did get a degree. I got a, uh, uh, studied a master's in church leadership and management. Yes, there is such a thing. And you know what I, after all that studying I learned? I learned that all that studying was pointless. I learned more about how not to do it than how to do it. I learned that actually with all the technicalities and all the complications, I think passionate, alive, Jesus-loving people are contagious, infectious creatures. And so if there's one thing that you're responsible for, leader, when you plant a church, you transition a church, you lead a church, whatever you're responsible for, it's one thing only, and that is you determine the culture. You determine the climate, you determine that character of that church. The church will be in five years what you are today. If you're passionate about Jesus, your church will be on fire. If you're a worshiper, you'll have a worshiping church. If you're, if you're a, a prayer warrior, you're going to have a praying church. If, you, if you're a disciple maker, you will have a disciple making church. I think the problem is we want to add to church rather than multiply. So with many of us, we have the problem of addition rather than multiplication, which means when you plant a church, technically, you do draw people to yourself because they come to you because you have to have, I think, some attractive qualities. And when I say attractive qualities, I think you need to be a happy person. I think you need to be an alive person. And I think that's attractional. But where churches stop growing is they start building towards themselves. They don't build towards other people in the church and other leaders. I had the privilege a few years ago of um, meeting some of the leaders of one of the fastest growing churches in the world. We went over to the Philippines in Manila and met with some of the guys there. And what an incredible church. One of the things I took home was they said they train five times more people than they need. As home group leaders, as leaders, so that they've always got in the pipeline accidental church planting happening. They've got accidental home groups that happen because they've got people coming through all the time. They've got a leadership 
raising, releasing culture. Most churches that I've met is, honestly, I think most churches are, are jealous about holding on to their people. They want the best, they want the brightest, they want the strongest leaders. No, friends, that's bottlenecking. That's addition. You want to multiply a church, you multiply the leaders. It should never be, I don't think the power should, or the control should ever be in the hands of the righteous few. I think, I think the New Testament model says, let's have a lot of fun. Let's just get out there and be reproductive. So can I talk about some stuff? So first of all, I think the difference between a rabbit and an elephant is number one, agility and mobility. And I think a, a rabbit is way more streamlined than an elephant is. I think streamlined churches are important. So what am I saying? In being on NCMI team, we get into a lot of churches. And when I talk to leaders in churches, I ask them one question. I sit them all down and I say, why are you doing what you're doing? What do you do? Well, I welcome people at the door or I, I put out coffee. Well, why do you have coffee? Well, because, because people need beverages. No, that's not true. Why do we do what we do? Well, we do it because we want to be hospitable. That's partly true, but that's not the answer. What's the answer? We make disciples. That's the answer. Every single thing you do in your church, if it, it doesn't make disciples, kill it. It's not blessed by God. You see, whatever we add that doesn't serve the mission dilutes the mission. You're either adding or you're subtracting. If your children's church is occupying kids and not making disciples, kill it. It's not productive. You're going to make lame children. They will not be reproductive because the mission is making disciples. If you have a leadership team and on your leadership team you have people who are not disciple makers, you will hamstring the growth of your church immediately. Why? Because you've got people filling spaces that shouldn't be there that do not carry the anointing of God for the future of the church. They might carry the anointing of God for the past of the church, but they will not take the church into the future. You must make sure you've got rabbits on your leadership team. You must make sure you got, and listen, they don't have to be the best and the brightest. They honestly just need to be able to reproduce the culture of the church, the culture of Jesus Christ, and disciple making. So keep it streamlined, keep it simple. Cut out every single thing you do in your church and fill your program that does not make disciples. Now I know if you're leading a church right now, you're thinking, well, there's a lot of things we do that don't directly make disciples. Well, is that blessed by God then? Just think about it. Are you doing what he told you to do? Or are you filling up people's diaries and cluttering their already busy lives with a whole bunch of junk that is subtracting from the mission and not adding to the mission? It's confusing. It's not helping people. Okay. When you plant a church... Plant a church planting church. Plant a church whose goal is to reproduce itself. So, you could have 10 guys on your leadership team. People around you that you include. 
And they could be 10 guys running at 100% capacity. They could be fantastic oaks. Or you can have 50 people who are running at 75% of the capacity. So, just do the maths. Can 10 people running at 100% of their capacity necessarily increase their capacity? Can they take on more responsibility? Will they be able to multiply? <laughs> no, they can't. They're already, they're already busy. But if you take 50 oaks who are running at 75% and you plow some time and energy and effort into those guys and give them vision, already you have raised the lid. I, I don't think church multiplication is as difficult as we make it. I think if we just stop and think, what has God called us to do? And how effective are we at doing what God has called us to do? And evaluate simple, simple mathematical ideas. And I mean, I started with this for a reason. It's just to break your mind and to think there can be a different way. Do we need to plant a church with a ready-made worship team? No, we don't. We got a couple that are out now. They actually went over to the UK right now as we speak. They are meeting with, they went for the equip this week to meet up with people because they've got some prophecies about their lives concerning the UK. So we're like, you need to get there. Let's help you with some tickets. You get there, you follow the prophecies made about your life. Let's see what God does. Maybe God opens doors, maybe God closes doors, but let's go and meet some people. And they're meeting with a couple today. And they've been in the UK for a while and they planted a church for a while and their church is successful. They've got one committed member. That's, is that successful? It could be. If they're discipling that guy, you see, don't look at addition. It's easy. If you get, if you get a, a mega star worship leader and a superstar preacher and a wonderful bunch of money to get Get going. You can draw a crowd like this. Easy to draw a crowd. It's not so easy to make a disciple. When you make one disciple, if that disciple makes other disciples, you get into multiplication and not in addition. The trick is stay in multiplication. Okay. Is, is that a... So then also, I, think, I just think, let's def determine what is our definition of success. What does a successful church look like to you? Because I think this notion, honestly, of planting an independent, autonomous local church, I want to find that in Scripture. There's no such thing. In Scripture, there's interdependent local churches. So what does that look like? Does that look like we plant home groups? Does that look like we plant churches with sites? Does it look like we plant churches in other communities that are or possibly connected to a base church somewhere. Because uh, I, I honestly, I've seen more churches die because somebody wants to go out with this notion in his head that he needs to be independent and autonomous and crash and burn. Outside of relationship, outside of accountability. Two weeks ago, we had the distressing responsibility of helping a church close down. Not because it wasn't doing well, 
but because the leaders got out of accountability with each other and outside of accountability with team and stuff went down that shouldn't go down and a productive church died, went down in flames. My heart breaks. I don't think there's such a thing as an independent, autonomous local church. I think that's, that's Western philosophy rather than biblical theology. And that's cultural specific. I honestly think we belong to one another and we're responsible for one another's successes. And we're also responsible for one another's failures. I believe we can set each other up for, for glory and for, for success. So that's just something to rattle your brain and something to think about. In my notes, I also had, what about bivocational? Thank you, Werner, for that incredible message. What about bivocational? Do you have to lead a church by being paid staff? Why don't you plant a site? You know, I've been thinking about sites for a while. And I just want to waffle for a, for a second, if you don't mind, but... Like I said, we've, we've planted churches, we've helped churches plant, we've sent leaders and all the rest. But I've been looking about, uh, around at some churches that are idling around 30, maybe 60 people and don't seem to get much traction more than that. And you look at the leader and he's preparing preachers and he's doing meetings, he's doing pre-meetings and he's doing leadership meetings and he's leading a home group and he's... Um, putting down his guitar before he needs to preach because he's also the worship leader. And you look at all of these things and you think, is it necessary to run like that? See, if we abandon the notion of independent local church and say, God, you've called me to make disciples, how can I effectively make disciples? Uh, and, and that includes just partnering with some guys who can help you occasionally with preachers or can help you occasionally with worship teams. Or man, nothing is wrong with running a CD or a DVD, or a, man, we have the technology, a YouTube video with worship on it. Nothing stops you from doing that. One of the most successful churches that I know, that we've been ministering into for many years, got up to about two or 300 people before they had any musicians. Sometimes God just doesn't give you a musician. But that doesn't stop it from being a powerful, prevailing church. But if you redefine and say, uh, we can streamline what has God called us to do. Let's make disciples. Let's go get on with the mission of Jesus Christ. I promise you, you're going to be successful in some incredible way. And then I want to ask this. As a rabbit, rabbit to rabbit, I want to ask, what has God called you to do? What has God called you to do? What has God called you and your wife to do? Because I promise you, if your wife is not on board, you're going to do nothing. No reproduction, friends. Your wife needs to be fully on board with the mission that God's called you to. If she isn't, your time's not right to plant yet. Because this is a together thing. What has God called you as a couple to do? What is, what is, so I'm okay with this. In our church, I'm okay with this. God has called me to raise and release leaders. Does that ever mean that we're gonna become a mega church? Probably not, because we give our best away all the time which kind of sucks because every time you give really good people away, you give the influence group away as well. And uh, because you've helped people to build 
away from the key leader to other leaders in the church. And so, and so every time you kind of almost restart again. And every time we are formulating, we had a leaders meeting last night and we had a look around the room and we're like, okay, but we're ready to plant three of our elders, uh, one couple into Austria, one couple possibly into the United States and one couple possibly into England. Oh boy, we're starting again. We're replanting, but that's okay. Has God called us to do that? He has, so that's okay. It, it's like a big chunk of your heart goes away, and, and, and yes, when you measure by the attendance of other mega churches versus us, you think, man, we are, we are floundering, but my friends, we're not. We're doing, we're 100% successful because we're doing what God has called us to do. And we can only be responsible for what God has called us to do, and, and I need to run in my lane, you need to run in your lane, and you need to be, you need to be doing what God has called you to do. I cannot be cornerstone, and cornerstone cannot be me. And thank Jesus for that, because I would fail miserably at being somebody else. We need to do what God has called us to do. And so make peace with that. And don't plant a church, my friends. You've probably heard this a few times this week. Don't you dare plant a church if God has not called you to plant a church. Start with a home group. And if you can't lead a home group, you're not going to lead a church. If you can't gather 10 people, you're not going to gather 100 people. Okay, start. if you can't multiply a home group and make two home groups out of one home group, just stay a home group leader. All right, what has God called you to do? I want to talk a little bit about team that you gather. Gather reproductive people, gather healthy people into your leadership team because you'll create a bottleneck as, as fast as when we planted, we, we planted outside of team. We didn't know NCMI. So when we planted our church that we planted now, we got a group of people together. It was wonderful. It was Suzanne and myself and a guitar. And, and we didn't know anything about team. We didn't know anything about how to plant. We didn't know about how to gather people. So we gathered kind of friends and family and anybody who was a willing victim. It was wonderful. And, and so, uh, you, know, you know, what's a church planter? Those in debt and just stress and in despair joined with David and he became the leader. That's, a, that's in scripture, right? And that's exactly how you plant a church because you, you, you kind of attract the sick, lame and lazy, the broken, uh, the hurting, the disenfranchised, the people who are sick and tired of other churches, people who got hurt somewhere else, bring their hurts into your church. That's, I, I'm encouraging you here. But that's actually how church plants start, right? You pick up people who don't belong. You pick up a whole bunch of spare parts and try and put a body together. You do, and they're broken people, and that's okay. And so the mistake we made was we made some of those broken people leaders because they had leadership capacity and they had leadership potential and whatever, but they weren't able to reproduce. So a couple of years down the line, seven years down the line to be exact, we had to disband our leadership team. We had to, it was a lot of prayer, a lot of fasting. We went on church planters, seven years into our church plant. We discovered this mechanism. We came back and said, Lord Jesus, help us do things different. And so we'd fasted and prayed and, and the Lord just removed all of them miraculously within a month. They got relocated all over the planet and, and one couple we had to ask to actually step off. And then they left the church too, but that's okay. And we had to start again. But we realized that we'd reached a bottleneck because we had put in unproductive, infertile people into the right seats in the bus. We had the wrong people in the right seats. And they were taking up the space of productive people. 
And so what do I, do? What do I look for? I look for wild people. We've got a, we've got a team. I want to say, oh, we've got a team of lions. We've got a, a team of, of people who are difficult to lead because they are highly motivated, uh, passionate people. I said to them last night, I said, I'd rather be leading a team of lions than a, than a flock of sheep. I'll tell you that for free. Why? Because of multiplication. So some of the guys are, I mean, they, they run their own ministries. They run a whole bunch of things, and they're very effective in different places. And, and I want to tell you that if you're going to be a, a church leader, you've got to be radically secure in what God has called you to do. Because otherwise, strong people are going to feel your, your intimidation and they're going to go. And you're going to lose your multiplication fact, factor immediately. You've got to be able to work with people who are stronger and smarter and more energetic and, and, and more gregarious than you are. I'm not a radically outgoing person. I'm not that. I'm, I'm, in fact, I don't even consider myself an introvert. This is a, I mean, an extrovert. This is an extroverted role preaching. But I'm probably a raging introvert. But you can't be intimidated by people who have different personality styles and preferences to you. I think if you want to be an effective leader, you've got to put your personality preferences in your pocket and say, Lord, whatever you called me to do, I will do it by your anointing and by you. And Lord, not, I know it's not my ability, but this better be your ability because otherwise we're in deep, deep yogurt right now. And then embrace people who are stronger than you. Not all of their ideas, not all of their plans, not all of their schemes, but embrace them as people. Channel them as people into the call of God on their life because the call of God on their life and the call of God on your life is exactly the same and that's to make disciples. And everything that they come with and all their dreams and their ambitions and their desires that don't make disciples, challenge them with that. Hey man, make disciples. Hey man, make disciples, make disciples. And before you know it, you've got stronger people than you on your team rowing in the same direction as long as you're not intimidated and afraid. I want to say... Go for wild people. And then finally, I think I've got exactly two minutes le left. I want to say the root produces the fruit. Many people plant because they don't feel their space in their local church, in their leadership team, or maybe they want to preach a little bit more or something like that. Uh, some people plant because of ego. Uh, some people plant because they do think they could do it better than where they are. Uh, some people plant out of sin because some people plant out of rebellion. Some people plant out of pride. Some people plant out of legitimate concern and calling for the lost. Some people plant just under the command of Jesus because God said so, we're going to do it. And then, that's okay, but I want to say the root produces the fruit. You might not see it immediately. Maybe a couple of years in, you're going to see that church become what is in that leader's heart. If there's sin, if there's arrogance, if there's pride, that's what the fruit is going to be. You will not get another fruit than what is in that root. And so if you've got any of these vices that are hidden in your heart, and let me tell you, you do. 
Ask the Holy Spirit before you plant or before you transition or before you lead a church to knock the snot out of you so that when you plant, you plant with his agenda and not with yours. Because my friend, if you start that thing, you're going to have to maintain it. If you start it by the Spirit of God, you maintain it by the Spirit of God. But if you start it in the flesh, you're going to have to maintain it in the flesh. And neither you or I have the capacity to do that. And if you plant flesh, you will, sow, you will reap flesh. You plant spirit, you will reap in the spirit. And so I want to advocate radically spirit-led churches that reproduce like rabbits and that are not afraid of failure because part of church planting, guys, is experimentation. You're never going to have a perfect recipe on how to do it. There isn't such a thing. Have fun. Be rabbits. Reproduce. Be radically contagious. I think the only wrong way to plant a church is to plant it in sin. But try. If something doesn't work, reinvent the wheel. But I want to ask you to do it inside of community, inside of relationships with team, inside of relationships with the friends that you've made here in this group. Keep accountable. Keep on track. And make disciples. God bless you, rabbits. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to go to ncmi.net for more resources.